This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is CEO and founder of Open Sponsorship, Ishveen Anin. Ishveen, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you, Paul? Good. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's just uh, jump right into it. Could you give people a little introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, I'm the CEO and founder of Open Sponsorship. We are a two-sided marketplace connecting brands with athletes, teams, and events, but predominantly athletes. And a lot of our clients call us the Match.com of sports sponsorship. And really quick, people always say, well, how did you get into it? So I uh, grew up in England, hence the accent. I was a management consultant, graduated from Oxford, and realized a few years into my career that you know, sports had always been my passion. I played a lot um, growing up and wanted to get back into it and so became a sports agent. Loved sponsorship as a form of marketing. Thought the process to get deals done was a little bit archaic and so founded the company to solve that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, to go back a little bit, I know you graduated from Oxford in 2006 and then I saw you had a few jobs and then what made you get into the sports world? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I think when you're growing up, you pursue your passions um, almost full-time. So, you know, you kind of go to school, but if you play sports, like, that's really the focus for you, and, and school's kind of in the background, and you kind of have to do it. And then when I started working, I mean, I loved my job. I loved the team I was working with, the people, but I, I wasn't used to not playing sports for probably, like, three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so... I was like, wait, like, this is really weird. Like, I've, I've basically, I'd not really thought about how big a, a part of my life playing sports was and how much it made me, but being in this job made me realize that, you know, I felt like I was missing out by not being on the field all the time and not being surrounded by the kind of the athletic nature of who I was. And so I really wanted to actually get into sports policy and, you know, get more young Indian girls playing sports or, you know, in, in kind of community and whatever else. And, you know, someone told me that, to get into sports, you really have to understand how to monetize. And you know, in America, that means for a lot of young people doing ticket sales, but ticket sales is not as big in England. And so you really either go into media, like media sales, or you go into sponsorship sales. And so I went into sponsorship, kind of the rest is history. Gotcha. Yeah, and I know you're working as a sports agent for cricket, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I did quite a lot of sports, but yeah. cricket was like a big focus. Gotcha. So how, how'd that come all about? Yeah, super random. I, um, I thought, well, if I'm going to make this one career change, why not make two? And so decided to move to India. I found a kind of very small startup, but awesome company, kind of great CEO, and was connected through a friend, reached out. He offered me a job. I'd never even met him. I was still living in London. He was obviously in Delhi in India and saw something and, and kind of offered me a role. So I finally moved to India to pursue this kind of career in sports, cricket sponsorship. Gotcha. So how did you get the idea for open sponsorship? Did all this, like while you were doing all those jobs, is that how it manifested? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, you don't, you know, usually with ideas, it's not like one like, moment Well, there was, but it, it's really a combination of like t- tons of different things. So, you know, one thing for me was having grown up in England and then I was working in India, but 
because of the nature of sport, especially cricket. I mean, I was doing tournaments in West Indies and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and South Africa, and it really is like the sport is global, yet the deals we were doing were pretty India-heavy. And so I really thought, you know, why are we not doing more global cross-border deals? And at that time, it just wasn't really a thing. I mean, teams like Manchester United were doing it well, but like really no one else. So that was a seed that got planted. And then we'd reach out to companies and talk to them about doing sports. And, you know, I used to represent a few athletes as well back in the day. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was always the same companies we'd call for them, like the Pepsis or the Reeboks. And I was always like, why don't we go to new companies? And you'd hear the same thing, like, oh, we don't do sports. It's too expensive. And all of these like, misconceptions. And so really when I had the idea of open sponsorship, it was because, yeah, I was using Airbnb as in my personal life. I was obviously using LinkedIn and all of these other awesome marketplaces. And I thought, why is it not something like this for our industry where you get rid of all of these like misnomers um, and everything's just so transparent and easy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when I found out about open sponsorship, I thought it was like one of those, why didn't I think of that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, can you explain how open sponsorship works? Yeah, sure. So think of us... I'd say that we've done, we've taken a lot of lessons from recruitment. I think mostly recruitment, although we call ourselves Match.com, but really recruitment. So back in the day, if you were a company looking to hire someone, you'd have to, you know, go through your network, ask employees, maybe use Headhunters as an external agency, and maybe you got a little bit of inbound, but it wasn't really there. The same thing for sports, where you know, if you're a, a big brand or any company and you're thinking about using an athlete good luck kind of getting started maybe you know someone who knows someone or you went to a conference and you met someone or or kind of it's very very random and we thought well there must be a more streamlined way to do this so we did two things one is we have an amazing search engine so the same way for recruitment i can now go on linkedin and filter by location and how many years have they been in the workforce and title and do they say that they're an athlete in their bio whatever else same way for with open sponsorship our brands can go into our system and they can say all right give me athletes who are vegan the word tofu on social media who have a demographic following that's mostly female or male that's 18 to 24 lives in california and i also want someone whose social media engagement is over three percent and they must be in this age range so really like all of these criteria come together to give you this really powerful search and what really that has done is if we speak to any company b2b b2c you know any industry and they say well are athletes relevant to us we can say well look there's not at least one athlete who's not talking about bitcoin or security or toothbrush or psoriasis or whatever it is that we're trying to or or kind of what they're interested in. So that's one side. And then the second side, again, very similar to recruitment, is rather than you trying to figure out which athlete is the best for you, why not just put up a campaign, which we call similar to a job posting, that just says, you know, we're looking for athletes who are interested in X, Y, Z, you know, who have a pet, who drink, who are going to go to the Mauritius this year, whatever it may be. This is what we're offering. This is what you want to do. And hey, tell us and apply to us. And what this has really done is for sports agents particularly and athletes, it's really helped them to get their A- minus, maybe their not biggest guys in front of these brands in a way that they never thought they could before. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely an awesome platform. And how do you get athletes and brands to sign up? Um, it's a little bit on both sides. So, you know, at the beginning when we started, we really focused on the athletes and, mm-hmm. and teams and events, and we, you know, we wanted to get some scale. Once we got to about a thousand, we were like, "Cool, I think we have enough. Let's go and get brands." And since then, it really has been the big focus has been on brands. A, the brands pay as a membership to be on the platform, and secondly, as obviously the brands are the ones who are paying the athletes. So, what now? I mean, now we're up to about five and a half thousand athletes, and for us today. The brands, we, you know, we have an inside sales team. They're awesome. They're really all about educating brands. You know, we work with companies who never, you know, never thought they'd be doing sports, and we tell them this is how you're going to do sports, and we help them out. Um, and then as and when we need more athletes, I mean, we get a lot of organically athletes and agents signing up. For example, we had someone recently who wanted disabled athletes who are skiers or her winter sport athletes who are disabled. You know, we don't have a lot of that, so we'll go out and we'll go and recruit more athletes and agents who represent them. But mostly we have enough of both that we can just keep growing the brand side. Yeah, definitely. Now going back to like the development process, like what was it like to create the website and and what was your vision for the website? Yeah, that one's interesting. I mean, yeah, for me it was like Airbnb exists. I like yeah. it. Let's, let's do something like Airbnb, and you know, I learned how to do some wireframes. Found some, found a, a technical guy who started us out, and we just kept going. And then, really, it was only in 2016 we brought on someone who was a, a front-end guy, like a UI UX person, yeah. and that's when I really understood how important it was to think about usability. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about having functionality and being like, well, A can meet B, we've built what we wanted. It's really about, but is this a nice way for people to meet? Is it easy to use? Is it simplistic? Does it look good? Like, is this somewhere that people want to spend their time? And I think I didn't quite have an appreciation at the beginning of how much, you know, using a website is like the same decision as anything else. Like, you wouldn't wear clothes you don't enjoy. You don't use websites you don't enjoy. That's when you know that you have like a business like a Craigslist where it's not very nice usability, but A, it's free, which is why you use it, and B, it really fits your need. But for us, what I really realized, and it was like 2016, was, okay, you know, we need to build something that people are going to enjoy using and, and logging into every day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all about, you know, trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I know this is your fifth year of the company. So what's the biggest difference between when you first started and now? Yeah, it doesn't feel like five years. Um, I'd, I'd say the first year and a half, I mean, up until 2016 January, mm-hmm. as a first-time tech entrepreneur, I literally had no idea what I was doing. A, I was pretty new to America. B, I was new to American sports. C, I was new to building a tech company. So I'd say I understand why founders go on to do second businesses because you learn so much. You almost want to do it again just so that you could, like, cut the crap <laughs> to be honest so the first year and a half you could basically write off as just like going through school of making mistakes and then it was really january 2016 we got into 500 startups the accelerator out in san francisco and i was like oh this is not like some sort of art where you kind of figure it out yourself like there is a science to running a startup and 
you've got to do things the right way and there's you know there's a rule book and obviously there are nuances for industry and for company but there really is a right way to do it and so I would say when we think about our company life it really started in 2016 and ever since then what would I say have learned is one you've got to be aggressive you've got to be outside of your comfort zone you have to make sure your team is aggressive often there's a really fine balance between you should definitely take time to celebrate your milestones and be like okay you know we did this let's let's celebrate it but at the same time you can never be stagnant and at the beginning I think there was an element of like not firing things on all cylinders like we really worked on product but we didn't think about sales as much and then now it's like that fine balance is like we're really focused on sales but we mustn't stop thinking about product and i'd say the biggest learning i've had is that you can't relax on on either front yeah yeah, yeah definitely and uh how many athletes and brands have you worked with so far like i know you have some like estimated numbers yeah i mean we athletes who've done deals through us is a little over a thousand as big as like um Rob Gronkowski, Draymond Green, Todd Gurley, Jordan Clarkson, and then in the non-major sports, Julia Mancuso, who's like a just recently retired, like awesome skier, Bethany Matexans, who won the U.S. Open tennis, William McGurk, who's a golfer, so some really great names, and I think we've done deals across about 25 sports Um, brands. We've worked with it's about 250 brands that we've done deals for as big as like an Anheuser-Busch, Verizon, DraftKings, but then all the way down to, I mean, kind of mom and pop shops, charities, um, startups, you know, companies that you definitely wouldn't have heard of um, unless you know, you're in the same space as them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, what was it like the turning point where you guys got like, I know you said 2016, but like, what was like almost when you like grew, like, cause I've seen you've been growing and growing. Yeah, I would actually say 2016 was, you know, we raised some money. We brought on a couple of people. 2017 was, we really, like, went back to the drawing board for product, which is when I I said, like, I think we should have focused a bit more on sales if I could go back and do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were such a small team and product was a focus. 2018 was really the year where we were like, oh, we have something here, like, you know, we've got some scale. We brought on two amazing advisors, both who work at HubSpot, um, pretty senior there. Mm-hmm. And they really made us realize, like, okay, this is, again, how you build a sales org. And so I'd say 2018, the latter half 2018, was really a big turning point for us. And, and this year it's all about, okay, how quickly can we can we get to that next milestone? Yeah, and I think, like, obviously social media just keeps on getting bigger and bigger, so I'm sure that also helps. Yeah. And I, and I saw you got named uh, 30 Under 30 uh, for Forbes in 2015. So what, what was that like? It was good. It was really early on, though. So yeah. it was interesting because I think it almost meant that we got some, like, notoriety when, like, literally, I think our website had launched a week before. It was really good personally. As a company, I think we just weren't really ready for it. And I always say, like, 30 Under 30, I feel like it's, it's like a stamp of potential, and then I always joke that 40 and the 40, like, you have to have made it to be on that list. And yeah. so it was nice to be recognized for, like, obviously the work I'd done before um, in India and England in cricket and what open sponsorship could be. Yeah. But I always say, like, you know, there's a long way to go when you get on that 30 and the 30 list still. Yeah, definitely. And have you ever thought about, I think you guys might do it already, but 
getting more uh, like social media influencers on your on your website? Yeah, I think um, my background was sports, and, and to yeah. be honest, we call ourselves sponsorship because, and you know, as, as you know, sponsorship has existed many many years before influencer marketing and yeah. even social media <laughs> came around, and so. The problem we're trying to solve is like this, like, you know, the sports media and entertainment world is a, it's a hugely powerful world. I mean, just look at the calendar right now, right? We went from Super Bowl to All-Star, Grammys, Oscars. Mm. I mean, like, these are amazing people that have been very protected from the everyday brand. And yeah, I like to give the story that thanks to social media today, as a fan of sports or music or, you know, an actor, you are so connected to your celebrity or to your icons, right? You you know what time they wake up, what they wear, what they eat. Um, there's so much that you know about them and, and you feel close to them. Uh, and maybe you can even, like, comment on their pictures, right, or DM them or whatever mm-hmm. else. Yeah. But as a business, nothing has changed. Um, I could probably DM them, but look, if, if you're talking to Cristiano Ronaldo, who's got, like, millions of followers, like, even an NFL player who has, like, a couple of hundred thousand, if I DM you, the chances are you're not responding, right? Um, And so our whole thing is that the sports and entertainment world, the same way that social media has brought fans closer to you, we as Open Sponsorship want to bring businesses close to you. Um, And it's a two-way stream because today, when you think about athletes or musicians, whether it's for money and revenue, or whether it's brand building, whether it's integrating into society, like you, you hear about athletes and, you know, the average age of retirement is like 30, what are they doing after that? Well, if they've been connected to business, whether it's through sponsorship or whatever else in advance, they're less alone and aloof when they retire. And so our whole thing, it's less about, you know, social media and marketing for others is definitely a big focus. But our bigger picture is like, how can we create these connections between the business population and the sports media and entertainment industry mm-hmm. that is mutually beneficial to both sides? Gotcha. So, like, are you open to working with influencers or not really? Or you want to stick to, like, athletes? Yeah, I think we're looking to add in music soon, as you can okay. tell from, you know, the way I speak. Yeah. Um, it's not that we're not open to it. I think, yeah. like, our website is heavily catered to achievements and, you know, who are you, what team do you play for, what nationality right. are you? So it's almost like as influencers, you just get lost because the pitch that we're making is, hey, you want to connect with sports. Now, we do have fitness guys, I mean, yoga, we have influencers who are definitely not pro athletes, but they're still connected to sports. Like, maybe they played NCAA and then they became a commentator or or they became a coach or something else like that. So it's not like we're only pro athletes by any means. I mean, most Olympians are semi-pro anyway and have a second job. So it's, it's more a case of just I think you're famous for having a skill set, which is yeah. probably to do with sports or music or talent, which, I mean, is probably a bit controversial because influencers, rightly so, have, have you know, their art is their content. Um, I think it's just a bit different to what we sell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what, what are some of your goals for 2019? Oh, a lot. I mean, we have a revenue goal that we want to get to um, so that enables us to kind of hopefully raise our next round and, and expand even further. We have a headcount goal, so, you know, we're hiring pretty aggressively. And then in terms of product, we really want to build something that a big focus for us, especially Q1, was ROI. I think sponsorship generally has been one of those things that you you spend money on sports and you hope that you're getting a return. And 
when you think about channels like Facebook or Google AdWords, it's so obvious what you're getting as a return. And I think we as an industry need to be better. And so, you know, we're building integrations with Shopify. We're adding UTM tracking links. And so in terms of product, we really want to be able to prove to you that you should spend more in sports and it's not just kind of like a hope for the best kind of situation. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And what's uh, some advice that you could give to a new entrepreneur? Yeah, um, be sure you want to do it. <laughs> it's a long road. I think you really have to believe in the problem you're solving. There's a huge rate of failure, so it has to be been worth it. You definitely like, you know, there's a lost opportunity for the money you're not making in a full-time role. But so be sure that you're excited about the problem you're solving because I think that's everything. If you are really excited about it, then don't think about it too long. Just kind of do it. Just try. I mean, you know, everyone talks about fail fast and what's the worst thing that's going to happen. Surround yourself with good people. I think I didn't do that early enough where I just was like, I had this idea. I was impulsive. I was like, cool, let's just go build it. I think, you know, if you can, try and find the right people. And then once you're in it, go fast. Move really fast. Yeah, definitely. And can, can you talk a little about being a, a woman in tech? Yeah, um, it's different. It's, it's, it's definitely different to being like a male CEO for sure. The pros, there's a lot of visibility. If you, you know, if you want that, where you may get more speaking opportunities in a room, you stand out. Obviously, there are VC funds who um, are focused on females and whatever else. But the cons are that you do have to work harder to get to the same place Mm -hmm. because even though you're in the room to be taken seriously to have the same impact they think you have to just work harder you have to be smarter what what comes out of your mouth has to be 10 times better when it comes to things like building a team you have to be conscious of the fact that you may have people in your team who've never been managed by a woman before they're only female role model has maybe been their mother which makes difference when it's a guy and I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that come with being a female CEO especially in an industry that's not you know I'm not solving a beauty fashion women's health problem or whatever else and so I think that comes with its own challenges because I don't look or sound like I should be changing the face of sports um, sponsorship and uh, you ready for some fun questions yeah, go for it. What's the biggest difference between living in the UK, India, and the US? Ah, huge. Well, India, it's really obvious. I mean, it's like just such a different place. I think professionally, I'll talk about it. Um, professionally in India, it's all about relationships. 90% of a meeting is discussing family and nothing to do with work and then 10% is work and meetings last for four hours and you can't cut them off and everyone's always late for everything. It's just a very, very, very different place to, to, to work and live. But also to build soft skills, I'd say there's no better place. It's an amazing learning experience to understand how work is done in different cultures and, and India is one of them. England is a... I mean, I've got a smile on my face. It's, it's a really... It's a really unique place where I think it's very meritocratic. You know, if there was a place where everyone is equal and everyone gets the same chance, I do think it's England and people could disagree, but just a very fair place, very level-headed place. Mm -hmm. 
but then that brings me on to the other thing where America, you know, you can make your dreams come true in America and obviously living in New York, like, the opportunities here are huge because people will give you that chance. Going back to England, I think it's harder because it's just, it's like, you know, there's not so many opportunities to just go crazy over there and, and like, be in a situation you never would be. It's more level-headed. Whereas in America, you work 50 times harder, you potentially could make 2,000 times more impact. So I think America is just a great place to work hard, play hard. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, you think cricket or or in netball will ever be popular in the U.S.? It'll be tough. Cricket, they've tried. I mean, I'm really close with the International Cricket Council. Um, it's, a, I mean, it's a great sport. I just think it's really tough because probably the length of the game. Baseball is already here. And when it's not ingrained in the school system, I mean, soccer is having such a, a, a tough time, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's a fifth, right? But it, it's kind of a lower fifth. But like, and people still play it. And so where you've got a sport that really no one even plays, I, I think that's tough. And netball, I mean, not happening. Like, you know, my favorite sport to play, but not getting popular here. <laughs> gotcha. And last one, what do, you, what do you like to do in your free time? Um... I love working out. I think, you know, A, because you can't pick up your phone and be disturbed yeah. when you're on a treadmill or in a, in a workout class. I love working out. Um, I'm married, and so I think great downtime for me is, like, hanging out with my husband and just kind of chilling out. But invariably, the conversation comes back to work, so I'm not really sure you ever really switch off. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, I appreciate you coming on and wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for your questions.